Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our fall series, Created, Made for More, focusing our hearts toward biblical manhood and womanhood. God's beautiful design will lead us toward the flourishing He intends for us. This is week four. Everybody hold up the number four. Week number four in our series called Created, Made for More. And the whole point, the whole thing we're trying to get at is this. God designed men and women and wired men and women equal in dignity, value, worth. But also they are so distinct from each other. They're distinct. There are some things that are true about men that aren't true about women. And there's things that are true about women that aren't true about men. And so what we wanted to figure out is how to define that. How do we define biblical manhood? What does the scripture say about what it means to be a man? And then what does scripture tell us it means to be a woman? Because culture will very quickly try and help you define that. They will. But what we found out in our very first week was this. Our fixed point is the Lord and this scripture right here. This is our fixed point. This is, this is how we navigate complicated, tricky issues. And so we talked about where we came from. We took two weeks, talked about origin, that we're created, men and women created in the image of God. I made this mistake last week. I'm not going to do it again, I promise. I need to get a clock on that back wall. I need to get a clock. Last week I was a little long-winded, but um, I got my clock right here. Now, um, we are in Genesis chapter 3. We went through, we spent the first week just in Genesis 1-1, and then we uh, dove into the creation of men and women designed in God's image, and that all people bear the image of their creator. All people. This isn't true of animals. This isn't true of any of the rest of the creative order, just you and I. And last week, we leaned into our men. We started three weeks um, talking about man's purpose. Today, we're talking about man's challenges. Next week, man's redemption. And then we're going to talk about how man is incomplete. All the women say amen. And then we're going to spend three weeks talking about women's purpose and women's challenges, women's redemption, and then together for the gospel. Now, Last week, we said that the purpose of man is to exercise, we talked about this term, headship. Everybody say headship. The purpose of the man is to exercise headship, his unique, the unique leadership of man. Not that women don't lead, they just lead differently, okay? Because I know some fierce women. Uh, you saw one of them here on the stage, Ray. Just fierce for the Lord, fierce leader. But this is the unique leadership of the man, and this is how they exercise it. Through sacrificial love, spiritual direction, and protection. Um, I just thought about this. This isn't in my notes. But a friend of mine... Um, 
I was just reading through some different things, and he quoted uh, Matthew Henry. Have you ever heard of um, Matthew Henry commentaries and things like that? They, the guy expounds on um, the Word of God, and uh, he posted this quote from him about the purpose of man, and it, it says this. Uh, Matthew Henry said, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. God could have taken the woman from any part of the man, but he took him specifically from the rib. Now, we talked all week last Sunday about what that should look like, sacrificial love that men should be leading out in our homes, churches, and communities. Very first, Ephesians, by laying down ourselves for our families, our churches, and our communities. Um, and honestly, one of the biggest questions we came out of last week was, where are these men? Pastor, I have never seen a man like that, a man who, who is not selfish, a man who doesn't um, just divert to himself. I, my father, my um, previous husbands, boyfriends, I've never met a man like this. Maybe parts of it, but not all of it. And so the question is, what hinders men from being the men that God has called them to be? We also said last week that this is a sermon for everyone. This involves all of us. It, it has huge implications. If men get this right, it has implications on society, on our families, on our kids. The future of this church, the future of this nation is all um, it's a matter for all of us to consider. And we said that where men punt, hear me men, where men punt on and absolve themselves of this purpose, this duty, this design, they're suffering. Now, let me just recap real quick Genesis 2, um, 7. Uh, uh, I'm going to read just a little bit, and then I'm going to get to today's scripture. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then, verse 8, the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees growing up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, try and picture all this, in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, entering the garden and divided into four branches. And you remember the four branches. I'm going to skip on down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. We found the purpose of man right there. What was the purpose of man? To work it and to keep it. We said that work was not a byproduct of sin. No, 
Now, we have to work harder, but work cultivating, protecting, and keeping of God's creation has always been on man's plate. Verse 16, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, here's where he makes the woman. Okay, so watch this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is right, just right for him or fit for him in some of your versions. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all livestock, birds of the sky, and wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man was asleep, the Lord God took out one of his ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, I love this part. At last, the man proclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Watch this verse. Don't miss it. Verse 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. No shame. Two thoughts. One, I love this song he sings. Okay, so just to paint the picture, he puts Adam out. I, well, I assume, I'm kind of reading into to this here, but um, caused him to fall into a deep sleep. He's under anesthesia, the Lord's anesthesia, best anesthesia there is. Amen. Takes the rib out, makes the woman, closes it up. Adam wakes up from surgery, gets a peep at the new creation, and he goes at last. Oh, yeah. Praise God. Look at you. And this is what he says. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman. You know what that means in Hebrew? Mine. He said, you're mine from the very beginning. And the Bible says, at the, at this, very, this very last verse 25 gives us this picture that everything was perfect. There was a shalom, there was a rhythm, there was a peace to everything that had happened up to this point. And then we get into our text today. So if you're in Genesis chapter 3, we'll read on. Just six verses. Verse 1, the serpent. Let me, let me read these together. I'm going to go 25 and then verse 1. Now the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. There was no shame. There's no guilt. There's nothing we feel today. No pain. They felt no shame. Then verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. 
Have you ever been watching a movie and you realize, oh no, this thing's taking a turn for the worst? That's what happens in my heart and mind when I read this. All of a sudden you see this peace, you see this shalom, you see this contentment. And then it's immediately interrupted. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Verse 2. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave to her husband Underline this if you underline anywhere. Underline this in, her, in your Bible. Who was with her? And he ate it too. We spent the first two, three days, two, three weeks into this talking about design and origin. and How God is creating things to look and work. And this gives us the first glimpse into why we have a problem with it. Why it rubs us, and this is it. We have a sin problem. Everyone in this room has a sin problem. You see, Adam and Eve in the garden, and I... I want you to also notice this, because the devil hasn't changed his tactics. When the devil wants to woo you into sin, when the devil wants to get at you and your family, you know what the very first thing he will do? Convince you that what God said is not true. The very first thing the devil will attempt to do is, oh, that's not what that means. Look at every wrestle we have in society today. The reason it's a wrestle is because what the devil has done is made this book questionable. What you will notice is sin will rise up in you when you begin to doubt what God has said. Let's read on. 7 through 19. We're going to kind of finish the story here. At that moment, their eyes were open. So they both ate the apple or fruit. I don't know why the apple got the bad rap. It could have been anything. I don't know. If it was me, I'd say it was passion fruit because that stuff is nasty. I don't know if you've ever had passion fruit, but we had it on our honeymoon. It's not worth it. Don't do it. That's what this was. I'm just kidding. I have no idea. Um, At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. What's the first thing that happens? 
Do you see the contrast? God's design, no shame. Sin equals shame. That's the very first thing that happens. Suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. One, what's the very first thing you do when life takes a, 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 a detour? You take a bump, you fall down. You know what the very first thing is you do? You hide. That's everyone's default. Hide and lie. That's your default. Don't look at me with your self-righteous eyes. That's your default. I see you, Woody Jones. Now, they hide from the God who created them. Seems futile, but they did it. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Isn't it interesting how God always wants to get us into some dialogue? Do you think God didn't know where they were? No, of course. God knew where they were. But he asked anyway, where are you? Verse 10, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I love God's response. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, oh, and this is where we get into the meat of today. You ready? Man's hurdles start kicking off right here. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any. Uh, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. You know snakes haven't always been on their belly. That's what that text tells us. And let me tell you something. If a snake walks up in here, you're going to have to find a new pastor. I'm, all, I'm gone, I'm out, I'm live. You might have to put me in a casket because I might die. Walking snake, that is ridiculous. Why would he design it that way to begin with? It's God, though. So he curses the serpent, uh, serpent to crawl on his belly. And then he says to the woman, in verse 15, um, I will cause hostility. Well, he's still talking to the snake. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. If you highlight in your Bible, highlight this. Very first prophecy of the coming Christ is right here. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. What we'll find out down the line is he's referring to the off, Adam's offspring. Eventually, down the line will be Jesus Christ. And you're going to strike at him, but he's going to crush you. Verse 16, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. 
And in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. There's several different versions. I'm not exactly a fan of that translation, but it's the one you have in your pew. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. From, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. What was the promise God made Adam and Eve? You eat of this tree, you're going to die. Prior to sin, there was no death. There was no suffering. And evidently, childbearing wasn't a big deal. Evidently, it used to be easy to work gardens. Anybody, any farmers in here? I know Claiborne's probably watching. Claiborne's got, uh, he, he goes here, works on everything. He's a magician of a mechanic. But he's got a wild garden. I mean, it's massive. And you'll go out there, and he has to slave at the ground to get that thing going. Now, he's worked it up over the years and made it a little easier on himself, but he'll tell you it's work. My grandparents sitting right in here. They have a garden out back. It's work. Now, where are we going? Every bit of pain and hurt And confusion we see in this world stems from sin. All of it. All the heartache, all the the wrestling, internal and external, comes from this very moment in Scripture. All of it. Sin, hear me, is universally devastating. Sin is universally devastating. I found this quote from Tim Keller, theologian, writer, pastor. He says this, Sin brings spiritual alienation from God, emotional alienation within, social alienation from each other, and physical alienation from nature. So as a result of sin, humanity is alienated from God, causing guilt and hostility to the knowledge of the Lord. Men and women are alienated from themselves, causing loss of identity and loss of meaning, as well as anxiety and emptiness. People are alienated from other people, causing war, crime, family breakdown, oppression, and injustice. And finally, humanity is alienated from nature itself, causing hunger, sickness, aging, and physical death. This is the result of sin. And this is why your pastor tries to caution you and oftentimes make it frustrated with how lightly we take sin. We take it just as like bad habits or, or, or oh, you know, I'm just, he's still working on me. Yeah, that's true. But please, if you leave here today with any Thing that, that 
comes up throughout the week, leave with this. Sin is serious, and sin will devastate your families and how God has designed all of it to work. It will devastate marriages. It will devastate your kids. Sin will send you to hell. You know this. It is nothing to be played with or flirted with. You know, uh, Paul would say that that we shouldn't... um, we should stay away from the very appearance of evil. We, we should take sin seriously. And this is where we find, this is the hurdle to manhood. Sin. Sin is the hurdle. Now, it fleshes out. Genesis 3 gives us a glimpse at two specific ways sin goes to cripple manhood. We see it right here. You, men, I'm asking you to recognize it in yourself. Women, I don't need you to be the Holy Spirit this morning, but you need to be aware of what I'm about to say. So keep your elbows to yourself. Genesis 3 gives us two ways. We're going to break down these two ways, and then I'm going to close. Sin cripples manhood in two primary forms. One, and it's general selfishness, but two specifically, selfish passivity and selfish aggression. You will see this in men. Selfish passivity, selfish aggression. Now, so let's peel apart selfish passivity. I am not saying, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying men aren't doing something because you're always doing something. You realize that. Even by not doing something and doing something else, you're still doing something, right? So you're making choices here. So passivity isn't necessarily not doing something, but selfish passivity would characterize men who are actively pursuing something other than what God desires and designed them to do. So here's the design, here's how God's given you purpose to work it and to keep it. When you shirk those responsibilities to go do something else, that is sinful passivity. Sinful, selfish passivity. Punting on the things God has designed you to do. Look at um, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. We see it here. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave it to her husband. And I had you underline this. Who was with her? Growing up in church, I'll be honest, it was kind of this picture painted like he was somewhere else. Like, oh, he lost track of his woman. There she goes running awry, you know. That's how it was kind of painted for me. But Scripture would say otherwise. Scripture would say that man was with her. Okay? Word for word, he was with her. And then when God comes to find them, here's selfish passivity in the text. You ready? Adam's response. Who did he go to first? Adam, you know what that is? Headship. 
He was responsible for working and protecting all that God had created, including his wife. So he goes to Adam, and he said, how did this happen? Adam's response, you ready? It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. This is like double passivity. So he's not only saying it's the woman, it's not only the woman, but it's also the one you gave me. Can you imagine the audacity? Can you imagine the audacity of the God who breathed life into you? And you say, you know what? You did this through that woman you made. This is man's, one of man's hurdles, one of his defaults is to step back and say, it's not my fault. I did all I was supposed to do. And in fact, he stood by and instead of protecting his wife, he was passive. He was passive. And look, God judged him for it too. And the man, he said in verse 17, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, since you didn't protect her, since you didn't do what I had called you to do, the ground is cursed because of you, and all your life you will struggle. So now the things that God had designed and purposed to be easy and beautiful and point us to him are now going, those same things are now going to be work. Those same things, when God calls a man to be um, sacrificially loving to his family, when he calls them to be the spiritual tone setters for the home and the church, and when he calls them to protect and keep what God has created, it will war against him. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. My daughter, who is at home today, and she may be watching this. I love you, baby. But you war against your father and mother. She does. She just wars. She don't listen. She don't listen to nothing. You have people in your life don't listen? Don't elbow your husband. Don't elbow your wife. Don't do it. Let's, let's all get to lunch safely. But everything God has designed you to do as a man will now war against you in doing it. Why do you think church isn't pretty? Why do, you, why do you think the community, it's all warring against the purpose and design of God. Now, this, the tentacles of passivity reach into every area of life. So if, if I can, for just a moment, as a pastor, as your pastor in the Chesterfield, Richmond area who does marital counseling, and I'm in contact with all types of people. Let me just speak into some specific things that would look like selfish passivity. Men, hear me. Please recognize this in yourself. The refusal to worship God is passive. When you decide not to do devotion at night, when you decide not to place God first in your home, when you just check the box on Sundays and then you don't talk about Jesus the rest of the week, that's your passivity, rearing its ugly head. Engaging fantasy instead of reality. I see this all the time. Uh, 
you would, instead of focusing on the design of God to pour into the church, family, and community, you want to fantasize about things that aren't reality. I'm not talking about fantasy football necessarily, but if you have been shirking your family to make sure the draft and all your picks go okay and your games are fleshing out all right, well, then that might be the case for you. But I've seen men fantasize about better jobs, entertainment, better spouse. It's passivity because you don't want to deal with things at home. It's passivity. You don't want to deal with it. Checking out emotionally and spiritually can also be considered um, selfish passivity. And, and men, let me just say specifically this. Silence in a moment where words are needed is passivity. I'll say it again because it might not be ringing with you. Silence when words are needed is selfish passivity. I can't tell you the number of men who they'll speak up when the referee makes a bad call, but they won't say a word when their family is a wreck. They retreat to the garage. They retreat to the shed. They retreat to their phones. They retreat, and they won't have the tough conversations, and it's selfish passivity. It's a hurdle to you being the man God has called you to be. God has called you to stand in the gap, to step in. Not away. And it was Adam stepping away. It's, it was his silence when he should have said something. Disorganization, procrastination, hiding sin, passivity. You don't want to deal with your sin, so you just hide it. You don't want to be held accountable. Laziness, leaving difficult labors to other. There's nothing aggravates me more walking behind a young man, really anybody in general, but just, there's trash on the floor. They'll just walk right by it like it's not there. It's laziness. It's passivity. Or you'll, somebody else will do that. No, no, no. God has called us to work. Apathy. Not being about it. And maybe even this. And I hadn't thought about this until I was preparing for this sermon. God had provided everything they would need in the garden. Everything. For complete contentment and happiness already existed. God was not robbing them by not having of that fruit. But it was Adam's refusal just to be content in the provision of God. That led him to sin. Can I tell you that selfish passivity men will lead you to the point of sinfulness? And is sinfulness in itself? Number two, selfish aggression. Let's see how this plays out. Chapter 3, verse 16 says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And this, this particular text, you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. Different texts say different things. 
But because of sin, follow me, headship existed pre-sin. A lot of people would say, oh, headship was a result of sin. Um, But headship existed pre-sin. But what sin has caused is that headship is now going to be tainted. And men will have a tendency, a knee-jerk, to be tyrants, to, to overshadow, to suppress women and rule them with an iron fist. Did you know that one in three women live in an abusive situation? Did you know that? One in three. I talked to a lady, young mom, has a son. Talked to her just last week, and she said um, she she got connected with me, and initially was looking for to get out of the current living situation and find another situation because it wasn't healthy for her husband, herself, and her child. Gave her a few resources, and and just a few days later, she sends me a text, and she says, hey, it looks like I'm just going to need housing for me and my son um, because her husband had, had taken one right to her face and slung her around. And she said, what do I do now? So I said, you need to call the cops. They will provide a way for you and your son to get out of that situation. And she's like, well, I don't want my son to see any more dysfunction, so I don't want to call the cops. I said, listen to me. Your son needs to see that this isn't tolerated. So, I don't know who's in the room today and... One of, the, one of the stressful things about preaching, can I tell you what it is? Um, you never know who you're talking to. You present whatever you want to present to me at church. Yeah. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say, if, if you are an abuser today, whether you're here or online, let me th- I, I need to declare something to you. God sees you. God sees what you're doing. And I'm not just talking about physical abuse. I'm talking about emotional, verbal abuse. Listen, God sees you in that wickedness and that sinfulness. And what he is doing by you watching today or being in this room is he's calling you out of it. In fact, in Scripture, Christ would say to you that the way you treat the daughters of the king, he will in turn treat you. So let his Holy Spirit call you out of that tendency, that knee-jerk to be a tyrant and selfishly aggressive. He said it right here in Scripture that he will rule over you. It's a hurdle to being the man. Because how did God design it to work? He designed it differently than the way it has Now, after sin, now, if you are being abused, 
I need to also tell you that God sees you. In all the conversations I've had over the years, one of the most difficult conversations is, is someone who comes to me and says, does God not see what I'm walking through? Hear this preacher today. God sees you. And I don't know who needs to hear that today. And he doesn't just see the you you present to other people. He sees you at home. He sees your thoughts. He sees your heart. God sees you. God loves you. If you should find yourself in a place, let me tell you, this church is a place where you can come in and we're going to wrap our arms around you. We're going to get some women to love on you. We're going to uh, help you walk out and try and figure out how to get you in a safe place. That is not tolerated here. Because God has called us to work it and keep it. God sees you. How does selfish aggression flesh out? Well, here's a few ways. Pornography. People don't talk about it in church because it's uncomfortable. Um, and this isn't just a male issue either. So it's a, a, a um, cross-the-board issue. But definitely more prevalent in men. And what is portrayed in these videos and online is nothing but selfish aggression towards women. That's all it is. It is a, I'm going to use and abuse those around me for my fulfillment. And that is not manhood. Pornography is rampant. The church doesn't talk about it because it's uncomfortable, but let me tell you something. If you are looking at pornography, one, there is liberty and freedom. There's nothing for men. I could go into the science of it. I do not have time because I've got to close. I'm not going to keep you till as long as I kept you last week, but stop, stop it. He's doing a cheerleading dance over here. You know what? I'm going to have to have some discipline after church. Um, It's an Imago Day issue. The image of God are on these men and women. And to, to, to strip them of that image just for your pleasure. It's an issue. It's an issue men struggle with. There's freedom for you, young man, old man. There's freedom for you from that. It will kill your marriage, I'll tell you that. It will kill your marriage in a quick minute. I have seen couples come back several times from infidelity. I have never seen a couple come back from pornography addiction. Maybe one. It fleshes out in pornography. It fleshes out in criticism. And men can be so critical. Women can be critical too, but we're talking about you in a few weeks. Men... Men kind of use criticism as like some type of jarring, like, oh, we're going to toughen him up. Yeah, no. That's a fleshing out of your selfish aggression. That's what it is. Withholding affection from your family. Using money, power to control. Mocking and belittling. God, 
I guess because guys don't deal with vulnerability well, um, we default to just making fun of each other. Um, But behind that is just selfishness. Slandering to get ahead, retaliation, sarcasm, abandoning our families. Selfish passivity and selfish aggression are the hurdles that men have in front of them in pursuing biblical manhood. So what happened? And you guys can go ahead and come up. I'm done. So let's answer our question. Where are all the men? Where are all the men? What happened to manhood? Sin happened. Many of you know this, and, and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, I think maybe even last week. My father left. Um, now, I, I still talk to him. I talk to him a, I don't know, a couple times a year, birthdays, Christmas, stuff like that. Um, and he will admittedly tell you he's just terrible at being married. Um, but he left, I guess, when I was 11 or 12. It was right around fifth grade. I remember it. I remember the day. And I won't go into the story because you've heard it a million times, but what I will tell you is this. The reason I can be up here today is because of the men in my church growing up who brought me under their wings showed me what it means to be a biblical man. Now, some of it was skewed. and The Holy Spirit has shook many of those things out, some of the weird stuff, but there's nothing more powerful than men living in the design and purpose of God and women living in the design and purpose of God. You know that? This isn't just a a, a generalized broadcast today. This isn't just to go out on Facebook and YouTube. This isn't just so we can get to the next part of the series. This is for you today, man. And so who do you go to save you? And we're going to talk about man's redemption next week, but who do you go to for rescue? Who's going to make this right? Who is going to help me wrestle out all this selfishness, all these um, bids towards passivity and aggression? Who wrestles out this sinfulness in me? Where can I go? There's an old song. Where can I go? Where can I go? Needing a refuge for my soul. Needing a friend to help me till the end. Where can I go but to the Lord 
who will rescue you? They call him the second Adam in the Bible. Uh, he's referred to as the second Adam. So we've, we're looking at Adam today. There was a second Adam in a, another garden right before a tree. And his name was Jesus. And he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, a much different garden than the Garden of Eden because the, 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 the Son of God was knelt down in tears, bleeding from the stress, saying, not my will, but your will be done, before he would go to a tree and he would be laid out and killed on it for you so that sin would be defeated and you would have liberty from the things that have you shackled. Now they're going to sing and I want the Holy Spirit to search your heart. But There's going to be a couple people in here today. Men, there, there are a couple of you. There's some of you that feel nothing. And I can tell you it's not because you don't have anything to, to My prayer is that the Holy Spirit awakens inside of you a desire to be more like Him. But there are also some in here today who would recognize the sinfulness inside them and say, I want to put to death the things in me that are not of Him. I want to put to death the things in me that God did not design to work that way. And there is freedom and victory in Jesus Christ for you. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.